Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen, amen. I'm going to miss out that cute little song as we end our series on letting God out of the box. I, uh, I, I feel the pressure this morning. As soon as I said free Twix after service, I knew my time was limited. So <laughs> stick with me. We're going to jump into God's word. And as we close out this series on letting God out of the box, let's remember back what we've said about this. We've talked about the boxes that we create the boxes that we make, the box in our mind and our lives where we try to squish God into. You remember what we said, that's literally impossible to do. There's no way we could squish God into any box, no matter how big that box is. In fact, we said by very definition, if God could be squeezed into a box, then he's not God at all. And yet that doesn't keep us from trying. These boxes come out of our history. These boxes come out of our experiences. These boxes come out of our own fears. These boxes come out of our inability or unwillingness to hand over the the, the steering wheel of our life to God. We have control issues. And because of that, we try to squish God into the box of our own making. Well, as we finish our series, we've been talking about this for a number of weeks now, I want to talk about some other boxes, not boxes that we squish God into, but boxes of our own making the same, but we have placed ourselves in those same boxes, and God wants us to, to lift the lid, to open the lid, to let us out of these boxes. Here's the deal about the box we've created for ourselves. Much like the box that we've created for God, it is of our own making, and, and for, for the most part, it comes from our own history and from our own background, from our own experiences in church or in our church family, even from our own fears, and certainly, certainly from our own inability or unwillingness to hand over the control of our life to a greater God. And so we've constructed these boxes to protect us, and God wants us to lift the lid on those boxes and let us out to experience things in 2023 and the rest of our lives that we couldn't even imagine back in 2022. Let me give you an example. God's allowed me to visit many times the beautiful country of Cuba. I've been once to Havana, the big city, but mostly we go over to the eastern side, Santiago and little small villages all around, very small towns. People live very simply in that part of the island, in that part of the world. In fact, if you want to build a house for yourself and for your family and one day for your kids and grandkids, these are the two main tools you will use for that house. There's no D.R. Horton uh, model homes, no Adam model homes around that you visit. You pick out the lighting fixtures and the kitchen fixtures. No, you, you get your hands, and because of limited resources and limited funds and limited workforce, you do the very best you can with your own hands. You build your own house. So, as you can imagine, those first house are very simple, maybe just a single story would look something like a very small block house that we would construct here in America, except for the roof. The roof looks very different. There's no shingles. There's not even that corrugated metal roof on top. In fact, the roof has no pitch at all. It's completely flat. It is a poured concrete slab. It's almost as if the ceiling looks just like the floor. Here's the deal. 
from day one, as they're constructing their house for the first time ever for their family, they are already thinking of the future. What today is their ceiling, tomorrow will be their floor. Because that's where they go up. That's where floor number two comes and floor number two, uh, three comes when the kids get bigger and the grandkids start coming. That's how they construct their houses, not capped, limited, stopped at one level. They're already ready for floor number two and floor number three. This is what God is calling us to do today. Too often we place limits on ourselves. Things that once were meant to protect us have now become limits. God is saying, lift the lid on those things. Let me do in and through you things you could never even imagine. But the limits you place on yourself. Now, speaking of roofs, we're going to talk about a Bible story that talks a lot about roofs. Roofs that don't belong there. Roofs that need to be removed so Jesus can do his thing. You probably know the story I'm talking about. It's right in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 2. If you want, you can catch the screen behind me. Or if you want to get all fancy, you can open the Bible app and you'll have all the notes there and the passage as well. It's Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to discover how God helps us lift the lid on our own limitations. Are you ready? Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Go ahead and turn to that. Let me read the whole story. It's a little bit long, about 12 verses. Then we're going to dig back into it kind of piece by piece to understand what kind of lids need to be lifted. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it for us. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, remember that word, it's a really big deal. Small town with a huge, huge purpose. The people heard that he had come home. Interesting, home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he began to preach the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then they lowered the man lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sons are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were also sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them with his mouth, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Folks, just so you know, got a pastor to congregation, brother to sister, and brother to brother. This is what we're going for in 2023. That at the end of this year, Cape Coral will say, we have never seen anything like this before. Anything short of that is not what we're going for. End of sidebar. 
Number one, what, what, what lids is God asking us to, to lift? Number one, the, lift the lid off of our potential, all right? This is the first lid. Lift the lid off of our potential. Let's look back at that, that city word. Remember, I told you to remember it, Capernaum. This is a big word. You probably heard it a bunch if you read the Bible. It comes up quite a bit in the New Testament. It was kind of important for a few reasons. Let me tell you why. Number one, this is a town. This is a town where the majority of Jesus' miracles were performed. Now, the deal about this town was it was a small town. In fact, we might even call it a village. About 1,500 folks lived there, not a big city at all. Some of you probably grew up in towns of 1,000, 2,000 folks. This is like that town, very small town, and yet the majority of his miracles and even his ministry took place in this town, even more than in the city of Jerusalem. Also, this is a city that Jesus had adopted as his own. Over in the book of Matthew, Jesus calls this my own city. He moved there at some point in his life. He chose to live. He was in that city full time. Not only Jesus, but guys like Peter and Andrew, James and John, even Matthew, they are all from this same town. They all grew up there. They all lived there. This is where God, uh, Jesus is interacting with these guys. This is all kinds of potential. God has been pouring into it with miracles, with teaching. God's been pouring into it with godly men like Peter and, and Matthew, these guys that are coming radically to faith. Uh, Jesus is living there. He's, he's in the marketplace. He's, he's selling chairs and tables and whatever else a carpenter sells. He's interacting with the people. They're having the opportunity opportunity to rub shoulders with the Son of God firsthand. God is pouring all kinds of resources into this little bitty teeny tiny village. We would expect at the end of his life there'd be incredible stories like, like the movement of God that started in Capernaum or, or the church planning movement that spread around the world started in Capernaum. After this kind of, this kind of investment of resources, godly spiritual resources, Nope. At the very end of his ministry, Jesus kind of has this uh, top 10 list of, of cities that most disappointed him. It, it's the woes or the warning list, you know, and he says, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, all these cities that have kind of let him down and fallen short of the expectations, who had, who had sinned against him or not responded to his, his preaching and his investment. And the very last one, kind of like as if he's saving all of his, his anger for the one city is... Capernaum. Jesus says, woe to you, Capernaum. Pay attention. He says, woe to you, Capernaum. You are going straight to hell. Now I know, Jesus talks a lot in parables, and sometimes it's kind of hard to interpret exactly where Jesus is going with something. This is not one of those times. He's being very clear. He wants them to understand after the investment of time and energy and love and power and miracles and spiritual movement into this little bitty town of 1,500 folks and all the potential that they had, and it's going nowhere. They just couldn't believe. They just wouldn't believe. They were along for the ride. They enjoyed the show. But when this demonstration of power was over, there was nothing left. What about us? What has is, what is Jesus poured into your life, into, into your family, into your church family? What influence, what investment, what power, what, what encouragement, what indwelling and filling of his spirit has, has he poured into you? What about our church, specifically our church? Statistics say from the Pew Research and Barna Research Group that 80% of all 
evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches like ours, 80% are dead or dying. What that means is most of us probably drove by five churches to get here this morning. Uh, there are churches in town, wherever direction you came from. That means four out of those five churches are dead or dying, according to statistics. We're adding a second service. Jesus is clearly pouring resources in of, of people and hearts and, and vision and purpose and, and a willingness to go outside of the walls of the church. Jesus is clearly pouring resources in. There is so much potential, folks. Now is not the time to hit the brakes. Now is the time to hit the gas. God is not calling us to, to, to just kind of coast on. None of us are called here to coast into heaven. <clears throat> 65 plus crowd. None of us are called to coast. We've done our time. We've done our bit. We've done our work. We'll let the younger folks take it from here. None of us are called to coast into heaven. Now is the time to give everything we have because of the investment that Jesus put into us, much like the city of Capernaum. Uh, the great British missionary Charles Studd said it this way. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to live. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard of hell. That is how I am going out. And I pray you'll go out the same way with me. We are not called to hit the brakes. We are not called to coast. God has called us to go and to, and to reach this city for him. I don't want New Hope Church to ever wind up on that list like Capernaum did. I hope you're with me. Verse number two, God is calling us to lift the lid on our faith. Lift the lid on our faith. What would that look like? Jump down to verse number five. Let me read it for us. Verse number five says this. When Jesus saw his faith, the paralyzed man? No. When Jesus saw their faith, the four guys, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what does that mean? He saw their faith. He saw how do you see faith? Faith is like a spiritual thing. You got it or you don't. But how do you see faith? That word saw is the word see. It's a, it's a, it's a Greek word. It's not just a glanced at or noticed or looked at. It's kind of like a, a, a deep, kind of a perceiving kind of an, a word. Like, like to look at something so intently, a situation or a family or relationship, so intently that you actually understand what's going on below the surface. That kind of a look. That's, what, that's the word that God chose to use here in the Bible. He looked into what they were doing and he perceived, he understood what was going on below the surface. This was important. So what did he see? If he looked into them and he saw this kind of faith, it must have been pretty obvious. It must have been pretty dramatic because based on that fact, Jesus brings the big guns and he, he, he tells this guy to get up, take your mat and walk in front of everyone. This is a powerful miracle. It must have been powerful faith. What did that look like? Well, it, it, maybe he saw the, the, the dust and the, and the debris falling from the roof. And based on what he saw, their engagement in the process, clearly these guys are all in. All will do this miracle. Maybe he saw the guy's tugging this man for blocks, maybe even miles, we don't know, all the way to the house. Maybe Jesus saw them outside trying to get in. They couldn't, so they're schlepping him up the outside stairs. Maybe Jesus saw them ripping the, the roof open. He saw the, the, the work and the sweat and the, and the dedication. Maybe that's what he saw. No, I think it was something else. 
I think Jesus saw this. The roof had opened. The guys grabbed those four corners. They lowered the guy down carefully and slowly. The guy lands on the ground right in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at the guy and their eyes meet. And Jesus looks back at the guys. And in every set of eyeballs, he sees the same thing. We did it. We got the guy in front of Jesus. We've done our part. Now Jesus is going to heal him. And in that moment, Jesus knew their faith was real. I know exactly what that look looks like. For many years, we lived in a part of the world that had, had, had been, been communist, a part of the world that said God is dead. And so as folks started coming to these brand new churches that we were starting over in East Germany, they were the first believers ever in their family, the first believers ever in their school classroom, the first believers ever in their whole neighborhood. They didn't know other Christians. They didn't come to vacation Bible school with grandma. They were it. And when these brand new baby Christians with a fire in their soul because everything was new, everything was exciting, they would bring their mom or they would bring their son or they would bring their girlfriend or they would bring their neighbor. They'd bring someone important to them and they'd be sitting right down front. And the look in the eyes of that brand new believer, I will never forget. And they're praying, oh God, let it happen to him like it happened to me two months ago. That look is what Jesus saw in these four guys. That's faith. That's assurance that Jesus and Jesus alone can change. I know if I just bring someone to Jesus, God will do the rest. They, 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 they want to bring him and Jesus will do it. The problem is most of us are more like me. You're schlepping the guy up to find Jesus because you think Jesus can help. If he's tried doctors, he's tried medicine, he's tried everything else, let's try Jesus. It's one more attempt. As soon as you see the crowd, you say, well, I, I guess this wasn't really God's will because if it was, it would, God would part the crowd and we get straight to Jesus. But it's going to be intrusive. I'm going to put people out. They might laugh at me for trying to push. And at the end of the day, I'm not 100% sure that this is really going to help for the guy. I would never schlep the guy up on the roof and start ripping open someone else's roof. I mean, what would they say about me? They throw me in jail. In fact, we talked about all the guys that lived in the city, whose house it might be. I'm putting my money on Peter because if it had been Matthew, the tax collector, tax collectors made a lot of money. He lived in a fancy house. The rich guy, he's calling the cops. Peter, not so much. He's like, bring it. <laughs> so, so I would be saying, no, I'm not going to dig into someone's roof. That's intrusive. That's, that's out of place. If God wanted to heal this guy, he'd make it a lot easier. He wouldn't make it so difficult. The waves would part, and, and I'd walk right in, and Jesus would see me coming and say, hey, I'm going to whammy him from here. But Jesus says it's not always easy. Was it easy to carry that guy all the blocks, even miles to you? Was it easy to, to carry him up the stairs? Was it easy to rip open the roof and lower him down? Folks, nothing that God wants to do in and through you is easy. The mission that God's given us in the church is not easy to live missionally, to live 
on mission, not just when we go on a mission trip to Panama, but every day here. That's not easy. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. I'm out of my comfort zone, continuously out of my comfort zone. It's not easy to, to continually fix up things around here, preparing this space for even more growth. It's not easy to pay down a million-dollar debt that, that we inherited. It's not easy to plant a new campus in Northwest Cape Coral. These things are not easy. Who promised you easy? Jesus calling us to follow him. Let me tell you one more thing about these guys. I don't want to miss this because this is really important. We don't know much about these four guys. We know there were four because the Bible says four. We know there were men because the Bible says men. But beyond that, we don't really know much. Now, we normally call them four friends because after all, who's going to go out of their way like this? They must have been friends. They could have been friends. I'm not saying they weren't. They could have been family members. That would also make sense. It could have been a, like a men's Bible study. Said, hey, we're going to do the service project this weekend. We're going to schlep poor little Jerry over to Jesus, see what happens. It could have been a lot of things. We don't know a lot about these four guys except for these two things. These four guys came around someone in need when he needed them. And these four guys were convinced that Jesus and Jesus alone could change this guy's life and future and eternity. That's why they came. These are the kind of friends that you and I need. If you have friends like this, you are blessed. If you have a need, you need friends like this. Who we surround ourselves with is so crucial in this life. If you don't have a need today, you'll have a need tomorrow. Trust me, it's coming. You need friends like this to come around you. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. I, I go to church once, twice a year if I need it, but really, I'm fine on my own. Me and Jesus, we have a thing going. That's not a thing. You don't find that in scripture. You need brothers. You need sisters. These guys came around him in his time and need. That is what brought him to healing. In fact, here's the deal. If you have friends like this, you will be brought to a place of healing. And the contrary is also true. If you don't have friends like this, you will be left paralyzed in your thoughts, in your old habits, in your old ways of life, your old ways of thinking. The problem is, even, even inside a church family, sometimes we surround ourselves that are with, with guys and gals that are still stuck in that old way of thinking, old, old traditions and old, old habits and, and old ways of, even old ways of doing church. And as long as we're surrounded with folks like that, we will never come to a place of healing. We will, these, these, those kind of friends will never bring us to Jesus. Instead, they will heap on more sorrow. Friends bring us as far as friends can bring us but then Jesus does the rest. You need friends like this. In fact, if you, don't if you have the other kind of friends, you need new friends. Thirdly, we need to lift the lid off of what you value. Lifting the lid on what you value. What is, what is God talking about? Look at verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. So he says to them out loud with his mouth, why are you thinking these things? This is important. We value things in our life. We value things that are important to us. We value things that are important to our family. We value things that are important to our church family. That's fine. It's good to have values and to value things. The problem is sometimes we become so enamored with the things that we value, that we miss 
the priorities, the things that God himself values. We become enamored with our own stuff. We become enamored with our own self. We become enamored with our own plans. And because of that, being out of whack, we are blocked from coming to Jesus. Now, initially, these four guys were blocked from coming to Jesus because of the big crowd. That was one problem for sure. But here, the, the religious elite, these, uh, these spiritual know-it-alls, this, these guardians of the law, they were also blocking their entrance to Jesus. They couldn't get through because of who they were and where they came from. Now, normally, uh, you and I would, would jump on the anti-scribe, anti-teachers uh, of the law, anti-Pharisee bandwagon and say, yeah, see, just like every other time in the Bible, these guys are always getting in Jesus' way. These guys are a bunch of turkeys. It's no wonder Jesus reserved his harshest commentary for these guys. You brood of vipers, he said. You're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed tombs dead on the inside, pretty on the outside. I mean, he was about as straightforward as you could get, and we want to jump on that same bandwagon. However, this time I'm, I'm kind of a little bit on their side. Now, hold on. Let me explain to you why. The scribe had a very specific role in the Old Testament, even all the way into the New Testament. What did the scribe do? Well, they literally copied the word of God by hand. There were no Xerox machines, copy machines. They didn't even have fax machines back then. They had nothing. So they were handwriting the word of God. They even had the spaces numbered between the words. I mean, they knew that stuff cold. So as you can imagine, anyone that spends that much time with the Word of God kind of started to become an expert in the Word of God. And so soon they were not only seen as scribes, but also experts in the law. Now that served a very specific purpose. Guys like Ezra in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, he was also a priest, and the Bible said he was also a scribe. These guys were to maintain spiritual or biblical purity. This was a really big deal in the Old Testament where the people of God were pulled away from their own temple, pulled away from their own cities, pulled away from their own culture, and placed in exile in places like Babylon. And in that time, if it weren't for guys like Ezra and these scribes maintaining that biblical purity, the, 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 the average Jew, the average follower of God would not have known what to do because eventually they came back. Ezra was there during the exile time all the way into the return. And during that time, he was able to say, now listen, folks, this is what we believe. Here it is clearly delineated the word of God. This was important. If we ever get off base, if we ever take a detour spiritually, these guys help folks get back on the right line. This is important. So here comes Jesus, this wandering miracle worker, kind of, kind of like a, a cult leader. He looks religious, sounds religious, but he's saying new things, different things. It's not fitting into the normal mold of what these guys would say. And even worse, he's starting to pull folks away to follow him and not our show. This can't be good, they thought. So they go and they get front row seats in this one little house talk that Jesus is giving. Why? Because they're judging him? I believe as much as anything else, they're not judging Jesus. They are protecting that which is precious to them. The word of God, the, 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 the commands of God, the will of God was precious to them. I'm the daddy of three beautiful girls. I know what it means to be, to be protective of that which is precious to you. And these guys were doing only that. The problem is they had overstepped their boundaries. 
they had gotten out of their own lane, if they were just protecting the word of God, Jesus said nothing at no time contrary to the word of God. They were protecting their extra biblical things, their tradition, their ideas, like, like, like what time you're supposed to have service on a Sunday morning, the, the, you know, not just 9.30, but now 11 o'clock. He was, they were protecting things like on what style of music you could have in church and whether you're allowed to have drums or electric guitar. They were protecting things like, like what, where God can do miracles. Can he only do them in the church or can he also do them around a coffee table at home? They were protecting things that didn't matter they were extra and the and the faith that they were protecting had become dysfunctional here's the deal about god he always addresses he always confronts dysfunction in the family of god jesus addresses it directly he goes hard after it god in the old testament there was dysfunction anyone that would try to steal the freedom of his people you know what god's willing to do drown an entire egyptian army Wipe out an entire enemy nation. God is willing to protect your freedom and to set you free. He is willing to kill all the firstborn children of another land. God is willing to do those crazy, wild, unimaginable things because your freedom in him is that valuable. God wants you to understand that God is serious about removing the lid of wrong values and setting you and me free. And then finally, there's one more lid we have to lift off. Lift the lid of our priorities. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. So they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Okay, let's just stop right there. God wants us to lift the lid on our priorities. Again, much like our values, we prioritize things that God is not necessarily prioritizing. So he wants us to reimagine and re-look re at those priorities and understand that word digging through the roof. Your, your Bible might have a different word for that. That idea of digging through the roof in the original language in God's word is, is not so much a, a tearing through or a, or a ripping off or even a digging into. The word literally means word for word is to unroof the roof. That's the only place in the entire Bible you read this word. It's kind of an unusual word in English. We don't have a word to unroof a roof. You, you, you have a roof, but he, he's calling us to unroof it. It doesn't mean to destroy it means, if anything, to reverse engineer it, to return it to its original state. Let's take a quick Hurricane Ian survey. How many of us had roof damage during Hurricane Ian? All right, a bunch of us. Good, good, good. How many of us have had trouble getting contractors to come fix that roof damage? Okay, good, good, good. How many of us were surprised, if not shocked, by the price of all that repair? To okay, good, good, good. I think we're all on the same page. So here's my question. If it's hard to get contractors, if it's surprising, if not shocking, how expensive it's going to be, and knowing that in just a few months, hurricane season 2023 is coming, why fix them at all? No, I mean, listen, hear me out. What? 
why, why fix them at all? Why would, we, why would we even put the roof back? If God chooses to unroof it, why do we want to put something back? If God took it away, who are we to put it back, especially if it's a hassle and a huge expense and, and, and more work and, and the next storm is right around the corner? What would God want us to do that for? Well, I know what you're saying. The roof, Pastor, we have to put it back. It protects us. It protects us from rain. Here in Florida, it protects us from falling coconuts. And I guess the new thing is it protects us from this, the, the prying eyes of Chinese spy balloons. But, but, but whatever the deal is, that roof protects us. And so we need that roof, Pastor. I've got to put it back on. But we need to be careful. So often that, that which we place, that we put into place to protect us, with time, and, and if we're not careful, that which we put over us to protect us can also become a limitation. Things that we put into place to protect us become a limitation later. Like, like uh, when we're a new believer, we say, I need to go to church. I need to be around others. And then with time, it becomes, I need to go to church, and it's got to start at 930 in the morning. We say, I need to go join a Bible study because I need to, to learn from God's word. And then soon with time that becomes, I need to go to a Bible study and it has to take place inside a church building. A Bible study that takes place in a home, that doesn't count. We say, I, I, I need to pray for my friends that they would come to church. But with time and without care, that turns into, I need my friends to come to a building because God only works in buildings. He can't work in a home or at a park or in a, at a, a dinner table or, or a coffee shop. God tells us to be very careful what uh, protection we put in place because eventually it can become a limitation. Jesus is teaching us something about his priorities in this story. Let me read it one more time, verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So what was Jesus doing? It says... And he was preaching the word of God to them. That was his priority. Now I know what you're thinking. Jesus, I've got a priority. I got this guy who needs your help. I came because I need help. Just before the story, chapter 1, this very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's only been one chapter before this, so it seems like, well, how much could have happened? It's incredible. Take, take a, a few minutes and read chapter 1, all that Jesus did in one chapter leading up to this, the, the miracles, the teaching, uh, the, the incredible power that he was exhibiting. By the end of chapter 1, he couldn't go anywhere without a crowd haranguing him and following him. In fact, the very last thing he does in chapter one is he heals the guy. And he says, now this is incredible. He thinks it's incredible. He pulls the guy aside. He says, now listen, whatever you do, don't tell anyone what happened. what the guy do? He tells everyone he sees what happened. And sure enough, here Jesus is stuck. Anywhere he goes, he's trapped. He can't get a word in edgewise because all he can do is help and meet needs. So Jesus decides he is gonna, he's going to hem himself in. He chooses to do his next place of ministry inside a house. Houses have walls. I don't care how big the house is, eventually you're going to hit your limits. You can squeeze 10 in, maybe 100 in, but certainly not more than that. And so Jesus says, I'm going to focus on what is a priority to me, preaching the word. And the guys outside are saying, Jesus, this isn't fair. We came to you with problems. We came to you with sickness. We came to you with needs. You should be outside under a tree. You should meet us in the town square. Even better yet, let's go out to the football field. You get in the middle, and we'll just get in line around you, and you can heal, fix, change, do everything we need of you. Where's Jesus? With a small group 
preaching the word of God. Folks, there are hard choices to be made between priorities. Priority is not easy to decide. It's not easy to know what is the best thing. But with my limited time on this earth, and for many of you, we're in the same boat with our limited number of days on this earth, God is calling us, God is calling us to skip the good and go for the best. Skip the good and go for the best. Jesus was going for the best Thing. He was preaching the word of God. All of the miracles, all of the teaching, all of the power of God demonstrated in the, per, in the city of Capernaum didn't change anything, but that word of God, it remains, the Bible says, it changes hearts. For us, that looks like this. As we choose the very best thing for us, we as a church have decided that we, the very best thing for us to do is to become fully engaged followers of Christ. And we have decided to do that by belonging together in Bible study and worship. We decided the very best way to do that is believing in Christ alone, not just any kind of mumbo-jumbo or just believe. No, you believe in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we want to bless our world. That is how we are becoming fully engaged followers of Christ. That is who we are. That is our priority. That is our mission. Everything else falls by the wayside. Folks, if you are a part of this ministry, if you are a part of choosing this best thing, prioritizing that which Jesus has given us, I invite you, I encourage you, I plead with you to join us. Father God, we put lids on our lives. We put lids on our belief, put lids on our actions, lids on our values, lids on our priorities. Father, help us to lift those lids to give you full freedom, entrance into every aspect of our lives, and to take us to places we've only dreamed of going. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.